Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. But today on the show, it's time for our annual Top 10 Films of the Year episode. I've got Josh Bell and Jason Harris from Awesome Movie Year stopping by. And as we've done in previous years, we're going to take a look back at our favorite movies of 2022. And... We have a few uh, overlaps, but not a lot, so we end up getting into a lot of different movies. I also read some uh, favorites from our Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group. So lots of movies to talk about and a nice long episode. It's always fun doing these. So uh, that's coming up here in a second. Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And don't forget about our Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Year, and from my music career. And speaking of my music career, my new album, More Content, just came out on December 30th, and I will be spending a good chunk of this year promoting it. I've got some music videos on the way, and so you'll be hearing a lot more about it in the coming months, but it is out now. You can get the limited edition CD on Bandcamp or stream it on any of the services you like to stream music on, Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff. If you're going to stream it, maybe add it to some playlists. That way, uh, you know, get it a few extra streams while you're at it. But anyway, you check it out. I appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about some of our favorite movies of 2022. And as with all episodes of Piecing It Together, spoiler alert. I have like six... Or three iterations of this list. I just keep making, you know, moving things around, which is good. Mine's been changing up until this nice. morning. Like, I, oh, I can't wow. stop changing Well, well it, mine, so, Dave, yeah. is almost exactly the same as the one we talked about in June, so... <laughs> I had a feeling that yeah. would happen. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to kick it off here. We're we're talking about our top tens of the year. Of course, this is our annual tradition to have Josh and Jason from Awesome Movie Year on. Josh, Jason, how are you guys doing? We are in the top 10 days of our lives here. All right. I don't know. Oh, there you go. You know, Dave, first of all, Happy New Year, guys. That's been a fun year talking oh, about all these year. awesome movie years. And Dave, uh, all the trailers we've covered, which to me was one of the trends of the year. Good trailers that didn't deliver good movies. Um, and I, I that always a thing, though. I feel like that's always a thing. It seemed like they've 
really expertly compartmentalized. Blumhouse, especially, you know, this year. But <laughs> are uh, you saying that you don't think Megan is going to be the best movie of 2023? He, he actually literally just said that. <laughs> I, I was like, January I know they know how to make episode. this trailer look good, but. Um, <laughs> But I, you know, and Dave, we talked about it on maybe the last version of the trailers. I do think that you pointed out that this year was like really back end stacked more than any other year. So I think, yes, uh, Josh, I know your list doesn't reflect that, but um, and I don't know what your list exactly is, even though it's already been published. But my list definitely reflects like 11 months of uh, crap and then one month of really good movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to spoil my list. And this happens to me a lot, really, is that my list is very heavy on the early part of the year. And I don't think it has anything that came out later than September. And I think for me, in a lot of cases, it's just being able to like sit with stuff for longer. Um, I do have at least I have one movie on there that I saw very recently, but otherwise it's movies that I saw a while ago. And I can think like, yeah, that movie, I it, it's stuck with me and I'm able to reflect on like, it was really one of the best and maybe something that I saw a week or two ago or something. If I did this list in a year from now, I would think, yeah, you know, that one actually rose in my estimation and would make the list. But otherwise, I, I tend often it's, I've noticed in the last five years or something to, to pick a lot of movies from earlier in the year. I actually have an honorable mention like that, that one that I thought like was good. But the more that the year progressed, I was like, no, that was really good. And now I see people watching it because it came to streaming. They're like, where did this movie come from? It was really good, which is another trend of the year of like where, you know, we're losing so much content because yes. it's just out there in the vast yeah. con content desert that no one knows about, you know. That's right. Insert plug for more content, my new album. But uh, yeah, that uh, that is absolutely right. Nobody knows where to find these movies. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'll say one thing, like before we get into our lists here, I had no five star movies on my list. I don't know about you guys, but I had a lot of fours, like a lot of fours, even a few 4.5s that I, I was willing to, to give out. But nothing this year really stood out to me in the way that other years have. A hundred percent, Dave. I agree 100% with that. I had zero five-star movies and the highest I gave everything was a four this year. I think there's maybe one or two things I could have given a four and a half to, but like, that's what I mean. Like even the top, top stuff is, is weaker than other years. I feel like. I mean, mm. I weirdly, like on the one hand, I'm very, very stingy with my stars. So I'm with you guys in that. I think I, I have three movies from the entire year that I gave four stars, which are at the top of my list and everything else on my list was three and a half stars. But on the other hand, because I'm so stingy, I'm like, that's a good year for me. If I saw three, four star <laughs> movies, I think that's pretty good. So I, I, I feel like as we say on awesome movie year, it's every year is an awesome movie year. I have my, my overall best of list has 22 movies on it and I would be happy to plug all of those. So I found stuff to like. And my overall best of list is like 40 something movies. It's just none of them kind of broke through that barrier. But I liked a lot of movies this year. Yeah, so movies are good. Uh, I think that's a controversial. Movies are good. That we're gonna no, take. you know, Josh, like I said, there's Jason a lot, disagrees. Movies there's are a bad. lot backloading. But I've said, I mean, look, I'm going to stick to what I've said on Dave on the podcast all year. I felt like this was an incredibly weak year. Every every month we would look back and be like, did you watch that? And a lot of the times we'd be like, yeah, it wasn't as good as the preview or no, because we all thought it was going to be good. And then, you know, it turned out that everyone hated it, you know? So I'm glad that the end of the year really surged for me, but like, I did think this was an incredibly weak movie year. And as we know, the mainstream, uh, you know, is just, 
I mean, it's going to break. It's got to break, you know, at some point in time, because we can't just have all superhero movies all the time. Can't we, though? (laughs) (laughs) I guess we'll see. But uh, let's start getting into our lists here. Uh, Josh, we'll go with you first. What do you got for number 10? Okay, well, for me, keeping with my theme that I was just saying, my number 10 is a movie that came out in January. That's January 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, And a movie that got completely lost on streaming because Netflix didn't seem to even think that it was a movie. It's called The House. It is one of... Five, four or five, one of uh, four animated movies on my list. So a great year for animation, a great year for stop motion animation, which this movie is. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have like Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio on my top 10, but it is, um, I think, a great movie. And Wendell and Wild, which was another Netflix stop motion movie, which was maybe not a great movie, but had a lot of fun, creative stuff in it. But to me, this is the best one of the Netflix stop motion movies. It's a three part anthology, all three parts taking place in the same house in sort of different periods, maybe different alternate universes. Um, The first segment is really, uh, if it were its own thing, is like one of the best horror movies of the year about this family that is gifted this beautiful house as sort of a Faustian bargain. And they start to become kind of part of the house as time goes on. Um, The second segment featuring Jarvis Cocker of Pulp, who also sings a great plot song which is so uh underrated and this of all movies this weird stop motion anthology closes with this plot song sung by jarvis cocker about how weird this house is and he plays this uh anthropomorphic rat who's redeveloping the house in the present day and then the third segment is a sort of post-apocalyptic future and it goes from this like really disturbing horror to kind of surrealist stuff. There's a big dance number with bugs um, and it ends on a kind of a hopeful note. So I've watched this movie twice this year. It's the only movie that I did watch twice this year, um, which is not something I typically do. And it was for an article, but it held up to me. So uh, it's on Netflix. It's called a special, even though it is 100% just a feature film. And uh, it's the house. Yeah. And we actually did an episode on this earlier in the year. Josh yes. was on the podcast for that. And uh, like I said back then, I, I completely agree with you. That first segment, so, so good. The rest of it didn't work as well for me, but it's still uh, it's still a great achievement. And like you said, it's been a great year for animation. Yeah, totally. And so many different kinds of animation, too. I, I agree with the animation yeah. thing. I definitely have this on my still to watch list. I really like uh, dude, all I did was watch movies this entire month, but this one yes. uh, still isn't there. I I do I do love Jarvis Cocker. My um, the first feature comedy show that I ever produced uh, was called the Common People Comedy Show. After that song, so um, you know, so I'm excited, Josh, to check it out. Glad it's on your list, buddy. Yeah, at least listen. To, you can just listen to that Jarvis Cocker song called "This House Is," I think, and uh, give you a flavor of the weirdness of this movie. So, Jason, what do you got for your ten? All right, Dave, starting off number 10 for me. Um, It's actually the movie that I was just talking about that I saw in the theater. And I was like, this is good. But then it really stuck with me. And I was like, no, this is really good. And it's Emily the Criminal. And Aubrey Plaza finally is now becoming the star that probably most of us knew she was going to be, you know. Um, showcasing really her dramatic chops between this and White Lotus this year. And I like it. It's just a a slight, you know, kind of um, version of the eat the rich. Like this woman is um, she, she is stuck in student debt. She can't make a living because um, 
you know, she's listened to the Bruce Springsteen Nebraska album. So we've all been there before. So she goes the way of, uh, you know, small time criminal. And of course it escalates. And it has two of the great sequences of the year where her criminal behavior either gets her into trouble with other criminals or almost gets her caught. And, um, you know, it's a first time director and I was really, really, um, enthralled with his directing style also. So, uh, Josh, who's the director of this one? John Patton Ford is the director, I believe. And also the writer. Yeah. yeah. So I like the grittiness. I like the way that the movie worked and she is a real star. So number 10 for me, Emily, the criminal. Absolutely. Yeah. I like this movie a lot too. It's not on my top 10, but it's close. And and I, I'm with you, Jason, that I think I saw it and I wrote a review of it and I was like, yeah, this is good. And and it did stick with me. And like you said, it's on Netflix now. So a lot of people are like, wait, this Netflix movie, Emily, the Criminal, right. is really good. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad that they're finding it. I am, too. And it's just crazy, like because it didn't break through any, you know, I know it was a Sundance movie. Right. And it didn't really break through in the theater. But it people are finding it on Netflix and you just don't know what's going to pop on streaming or how nowadays so i'm glad that this one is working yeah 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 great movie i i loved it too didn't make my top 10 but uh definitely my honorable mentions uh and another movie that josh joined me on the podcast to cover uh so yeah there you go uh my number 10 so i maybe an early shout out to uh an honorable mention i was originally going to put glass onion as my number 10 and as i was making my notes i was like not as good as the first one. Is True. that really in my top 10 films of the year? I don't know. So instead, I pivoted and went with what was my number 10 at the midway point of the year. It's Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe. Uh, I love this movie so much. It's so fun. And more than anything, it is so surprising in that it was as good as it was. Like, you don't really expect, first of all, these legacy sequels. You never know if they're really going to work out. Uh, but especially for something like this, something like Beavis and Butthead, would they really fit into today's world and, and everything that's, that's going on right now? And honestly, everything in it works so well. It's all so funny and it, uh, it, it updates them to the current time, but they're still the same two idiots. And, uh, the, the whole white privilege sequence is one of the funniest things that I've seen this year. And when it comes to movies, it just kind of made me happy in the year 2022 this is like towards the top of that list yeah i i agree with i mean it it's not i i, I liked it a lot it was a lot of fun it's not anywhere near my top 10 necessarily but yeah um i as a longtime beavis and butthead fan i had those same concerns that you had and i i also thought it was really entertaining and and I'll put in a plug for the current Beavis and Butthead TV series, which I then yeah. watched and is also a lot of fun. Not as creative as the movie because it's just short little, you know, 11 minute uh, episodes or whatever, but still very funny, very uh, worthwhile and uh, a lot of fun. And Dave, that's three movies in a row that you and I did piecing it together episodes about. I wow. was just thinking that. That's talk, crazy. Talk about a trend of the year, guys. Uh, yes. You guys um, I saw this. I was never a huge Beavis and Butthead fan. Obviously, I'm a huge Office Space fan. I think I would have preferred the 11-minute segments that you're talking about, Josh, because not all the comedy worked for me. There was some fun stuff, but I was just like, all right, I don't know why we needed this as a movie. But that's also a trend this year. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. All right. So uh, let's go uh, back to Josh for number nine. Um, well, keeping with comedy and mentioning Glass Onion, my number nine pick is a comedic murder mystery that is, and also 
in terms of movies that flew under the radar that people missed because they weren't promoted. It's Confess Fletch, which um, I didn't see in in the theater or review when it came out. I was aware of it, which a lot of people weren't, but it just kind of I don't know. It didn't seem some, like something that, that was all that notable necessarily. And then as all these great reviews poured in, it just moved up my list of something like I have to watch. And it en- ended up on Showtime. I'm not sure if it's still available on Showtime, but once it was available to watch at home, I watched it. And I've never seen the original Chevy Chase Fletch movies. I've never read the Fletch books, which this is supposedly a more faithful adaptation of. But it's just a really funny movie. It's a uh, clever little murder mystery, but it doesn't get bogged down in the twists and the the reveals and whatever. John Hamm is perfect as Fletch, who is this sort of sarcastic, semi-loser investigative reporter, but who's also a very smart, uh, astute detective and just a great supporting cast. So many little, you know, sometimes even just one or two scene roles from you know, John Slattery and Annie Mamolo and Marsha Gay Harden is so funny in this movie <laughs> doing this weird accent that kind of shifts all the time and always calling Fletch Flesh. And um, <laughs> I just I expected it to be fun. And I just had like I feel like I had more fun with this movie than almost any other movie I watched this year. Yeah, I like this movie. And I think, you know, when we're talking about where to find content, you know, one of the kind of uh, stories on this was like, hey, people really did like this. And in its limited box office run, it showed that it could have actually made money, right? So it was a mistake the way they did release it. Um, I want to rewatch it at some point. I've seen the original Fletch movie with Chevy Chase. Um, I don't know if I've seen Fletch Lives, but I feel like I might have also. Um, John Hamm, you're right, is perfect as Fletch. And it's it's nice that this is probably like the best thing we've seen from John Hamm in a while in movies, like maybe since Bridesmaids or whatnot, you know? Yeah. And it's a shame that it wasn't more successful. I mean, maybe it'll be successful enough on streaming or with the way that people keep rediscovering it, that there'll be a reason to make another one. But I feel like John Hamm as Fletch is as worthy of more movies as Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc is. Right. But, and you know, I mean, as we know, content is content now. So Maybe this content becomes a, content. maybe this becomes a limited series. Also, you don't know. You know? Sure, yeah, I take that. But Josh, I, you know, th- I, I, you did mention a lot of the supporting players that were good. Some of them I just felt were just there and and not utilized. But I did want to shout out um, my 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 guy, Josh Greg Matola. As you know, I'm a big fan of yes. him as a director. Um, obviously, super bad. The Day Trippers, I love Adventureland. We all like. So it was kind of kind of interesting to see this as compared to like bros this year, which I know you guys saw and I didn't because um, I always think of, you know, uh, Matola and Nicholas Stoller in that kind of same Judd Apatow kind of, you know, troop. And Matola just had a great year with Fletch and bros and Stoller just kind of didn't do anything really. Yeah. And bros is very Apatowian and for better or worse. and. Confess Fletch is not. You can't, there's nothing, you can't imagine that that movie would have been directed by Judd Apatow. Well, yeah, it's only an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I loved Confess Fletch. It was one that I definitely considered for my list. Uh, great pick. Uh, so let's go to Jason's number nine. Number nine for me, Dave, 
sorry, Josh, but I did a piecing it together episode on this one. Ooh, um, okay. And I really liked it. And you get you know, you guys know I'm a food writer and a foodie. It's the menu. It's Mark Mylod's movie, who is one of the great directors on Succession. It's Ray Fiennes uh, as this celebrity chef. And I feel like this, we can end, like I said on our episode, we can end this section of celebrity chefdom with this movie. We have to now find different iterations of it, of, you know, chef willing to give up everything, uh, including people's lives in this one, to make their art uh, their point. But Ray Fiennes never gets enough credit as what a great actor he is. You know, we know he's a great dramatic actor, but he pulls this off. You know, you see him in the Wes Anderson movies. He's so funny. He's so great. It's a beautiful setting. I love the supporting characters here. You know, I don't know how much Anya Taylor-Joy really had to do, but Nicholas Holt, Judith Light, um, obviously Hong Chao, who wins the year. She's amazing in everything. Um, and it's beautiful. I think it talks to foodie culture. It's funny. And I love the setting. And it's just a really fun movie. Yeah, I liked it. I not as much as you did, but I definitely thought it was it was entertaining. Yeah, I think it's one of the easiest to recommend movies of the year. Like, I feel like anybody you would recommend this movie to, they're gonna love it. And, and one other thing I wanted to say is, you know, we keep hearing comedy is dead at the box office, right? But this was a hit. This made some money. We just talked about how Fletch could have made money. You know, that was so. You know, it's time to get like reimagine what maybe we know. Uh, or the studios, what comedy can do. And maybe they're not going to make Avatar-style money, but they can still work in the theater setting. What yeah. if Avatar was a comedy, though? Some people might think it is. Yeah. I got captured again. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, my number nine is also a comedy, although it's a very weird one. Uh, it's Triangle of Sadness from uh, Ruben Ostland, uh, and is probably the hardest I laughed at anything this year. Um, it, it's... Definitely not for everyone because it's it's a very you know strange movie. Things are very drawn out, especially in like the first third of it. But it it's uh, the rare movie where like you just absolutely have no idea what's coming next. Like from scene to scene, the most ridiculous, weird thing that could happen next is what's coming. Um, in a lot of ways, I kind of felt like it reminded me of like a Gaspar Noe film, but like a light comedy version of that. And uh, again, with the menu, you know, with its themes of, uh, you know, kind of eat the rich and, you know, uh, people that are entitled or just, you know, just falling over themselves to be as stupid as possible. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. And that whole middle section is just insane. So this one, the Palm d'Or this year, right? Um, yeah, that's right. And so I want to say a few things. Uh, first of all, it's too long. I mean, you know, it's a two and a half hour movie. I liked it. I did like this movie, you know, but mm -hmm. it's too long. The middle section is great, especially when the boat starts shaking and they're at the captain's dinner. That's one of the most memorable sequences of the year. Um, I do, you know, I do feel like sometimes we get these like commentaries on America and capitalism that are literally like that are very a little too on the nose. And in this one, it's two characters just quoting capitalist and Marxist rhetoric towards each other. And I'm like, you can't get more on the nose than that. Josh, were you a fan of this one? No, I hated this. I, really yeah, I can imagine that. that. Yeah, I really did not like it. I, I, I did not laugh a single time. The idea that this movie was funny is just sort of beyond me. I found it incredibly <laughs> annoying and so, so long. I mean, it's two and a half hours, but it feels like it's three and a half hours or whatever. And the whole like 
the, the captain's dinner bit that everyone loves. I mean, maybe that's just me and I don't find like bodily fluid stuff funny and it just goes on forever. And Jason's right. The reading of like capitalist and Marxist quotes back and forth is is so tedious and so obvious. And uh, yeah, no, nothing about this movie worked for me. Hey, I, it's definitely not one that would be an easy recommend. I will definitely. Yeah. Do you that, like the other two in his like capitalistic uh, trilogy? Um, I saw uh, Force Majeure. I never saw The Square. I think I thought I thought Force Majeure was okay, but I didn't really feel strongly about it either way. Yeah. I've only seen The Square. I like this more than The Square, but um, I, I thought it was pretty damn good. Though. I like that Austin's still working, you know, in his world and he hasn't been, you know, kind of commandeered to make Eternals 2 yet or anything. Like right. That. They they didn't they didn't get him to make the Will Ferrell remake of Force Majeure. Someone else did that. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, let's go to your number 8, Josh. Oh, it's me again. Okay. Um, <laughs> so my number 8 pick is David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future and talk about not necessarily an easy movie to recommend. I, I love David Cronenberg. I was very excited. This was not only his first movie of any kind in quite some time, but his first movie in, I think, like 20 years that was an original screenplay. And that really harkens back to his early stuff, which is focused on this body horror material. And some of the criticisms were like, this is basically just sort of Cronenberg playing the greatest hits. And I think that's fair, but his greatest hits are great. And I thought this movie was really creative. It's baffling in a good way. You never really know what's happening. This kind of strange future where people are growing new organs and they're doing surgery as performance art. And it's also a movie that obviously didn't have a huge budget. It takes place a lot in these just kind of strange art spaces, but he's great at hinting at there being a fully realized world beyond what he's able to show you. And the performances are all good. I think Kristen Stewart in this movie is one of the best uh, supporting performances this year, just because she is full on weird in this movie. And I think she's often at her best when she's able to do that. So um, I, I don't know if I can be like, give this a huge recommendation if you're not already in the tank for David Cronenberg, but I really liked it. So I'm not in the tank for Cronenberg. Uh, I haven't seen uh, a lot of his stuff. And I did like this a lot, too. Okay. So if, when you're saying playing the greatest hits, it's like, well, I don't know most of those hits. So I'm happy right. to see it. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm going to, you know, Dave just did Triangle of Sadness. This is another very international cast. And yeah. I like that we're seeing a lot more of that. Um there's uh, two other things I wanted to mention. Uh, the ear dance, the ear piece of art was one of the more memorable sequences of the year, I felt. Yeah. And um, you're talking about the performances, man. Vigo, dude. That dude yes, is he's great. He's so good. Like, this guy should have a... I mean, and Leocito's great, too. Like, if either of them had nominations, I'd be totally cool with that. Yeah, and Vigo Mortensen and Cronenberg have worked together multiple times, and obviously they're on their same weirdo wavelength. <laughs> That's great that they can yeah. do that. Absolutely. The the things that I liked about this movie, I really loved. Um, it didn't make my top ten, it, but it's 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 Cronenberg. You know, it's like super Cronenbergy, and <laughs> yes. and I love the score. It's one of my favorite scores of the year from Howard Shore. Um, the music is so good. Yeah. So, Jason, what do you got next? Number eight, talking about a movie that's gotten lost. Um, we'll hopefully find uh, an audience on streaming because it did not do well in the theaters. But it's James Gray's Armageddon Time. I felt of all the films that I've seen this year of 
uh, which was another trend. Auteurs, you know, uh, taking on their own childhood. This was the best one. Um, I like the realism and the grittiness that he always brings to his movies. It's more of just kind of like a section of his childhood, really, really tight section. Um, and I think Anthony Hopkins, like, <laughs> he still may be the greatest living actor that there is. And he just delivers so hard. And you know I love Jeremy Strong, our guy from uh, Succession. And I feel like this is the first thing we see him in where you see, like, yeah, this dude's going to be a presence for years. So, you know, I know we have the Fablemans out there and we have uh, Inuratu's movie, uh, Bardo, yeah. right? But I felt like this was the most compelling portrayal. The kids were good. Hey, I'm not going to complain that you use the Clash in uh, your soundtrack over and over. That's the reference to the song uh, that is the title of the movie. And I just thought, like, you know, whereas I didn't get into Michelle Williams' performance as the mom in The Fablemans, I really like Anne Hathaway and all the kind of adult figures in here. And and like I said, Strong and Hopkins just, like, own their scenes. Um, yeah, I didn't see this one because... Um... I Nobody have did. never. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I certainly was aware of it. And I have a screener, but I have never liked a James Gray movie. So it was kind of low on my list. I wasn't anticipating uh, good things from my perspective, but I, I'm still curious about it. It's one of my favorite James Gray movies, and I would echo everything that Jason just said. I, I think I think it's really great. I think the two kids in the lead, uh, Banks Repetta and Jalen Webb, they're they're both like two of the best like young performances I've seen this year. And it's a really interesting, great story, and I completely agree. It's it's like the best of uh, these actors looking back at their, I mean, these directors looking back at their own childhood. Um, it's a really interesting story, and I'm glad you brought it up, Jason. That's Thank great. you. Did you have any others you mentioned of the young performers this year? Did you have any others that maybe from another movie that we should be aware of? I'm trying to think, like off the top of my head. That is here. a category in Jason's hated Las Vegas Film Critics <laughs> Society Awards. Is it best young performance? Yeah. Who did they give it? Who did they give it to? Ah, uh, I don't remember who won. I mean, I could. I, I, I think it was uh, from the Fablemans, wasn't it? Uh, oh, it might have been. Yeah, and and he's good. And um, yeah, these kids are great. I think maybe the one that I and I the movie I thought was okay, but Frankie Corio in After Sun. She's really, really good. Yeah. So the the winners actually they this year I think was the first year that they divided it into a male performer and female performer, and the winners were Gabriel Labelle from The Fablemans and Frankie Corio. So oh, cool. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. Yeah. I voted. What did I vote for? Um, I the this movie, The Innocence, which is this like Norwegian horror movie. The kid, the main kid from that, is really, really good, and. Um, the Keela Lord Cassidy from The Wonder, which I know, Jason, is a movie you liked a lot. Yeah, that would be, you know, when Dave was talking about honorable mentions, that's really probably number 11 for me. I was splitting hairs between that and Emily the Criminal. And I and I also think that's Florence Pugh's best work uh, in The Wonder. So um, I would recommend that film. Yeah, I agree with you as well. Um, excellent movie. And I, I like that director, Sebastian Lelio, a lot. All of his films. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my number eight is Nope. From Jordan Peele. Um, this is uh, his first since Us, which I found to be a little disappointing, but Get Out, I think, deserves all of the attention it gets. I know a lot of people complained about the sight and sound list this year with all these newer movies making the list, but I feel like 
Get Out deserves its spot. And uh, I actually like Nope better, though, as a movie. Like, I think it's just a really fun time at the movies. And even though Jordan Peele still fills everything with all kinds of deep themes and meanings and red herrings to kind of theorize about and all these metaphors and all this stuff, at, at its core, it's just like the best sci-fi alien invasion type blockbuster we've gotten in a long time. And the performances from Daniel Kaluuya and uh, Kiki Palmer are just absolutely so much fun to watch and great score, cinematography, all of it. It's just uh, a really great fun time. I like it. I'm, I was honestly, I, I had, I felt like the movie climaxed and then kept going. Like the second and last sequence is so thrilling. And then there's like, ah, like here's another sequence. So it kind of took me out of it. Also, the story element that I was most interested in was about the monkey, uh, mm -hmm. you know, who attacked. And I get it, the symbolism and, you know, what we're talking about here. But I would have been really happy with an attack monkey movie. <laughs> See, I felt the opposite. I thought the monkey stuff should have been cut entirely because it didn't add anything to the movie. And I wanted to like this more than I did. I think I thought there were you're right, Jason, about the the thrilling sort of second to last sequence. And I felt like before that, it just was kind of idling a bit for me. So I wish I liked it more. All right. Fair enough. Well, let's go to your number seven, Josh. All right. So my number seven is Robert Eggers, The Northman. And uh, I know this is another one we talked about on the half year top 10 list. And, and it has stuck with me. I feel like this is a movie that got a lot of attention when it came out early in the year, especially because Robert Eggers' previous films had been so highly acclaimed. And then it seemed like it peaked and then people kind of forgot about it a little bit. But I feel like it's I know, Dave, that you love The Lighthouse so much. I was a little lukewarm on The Lighthouse. Yeah. Um, to me, this is this is almost as good as The Witch, which I think is just fantastic film. And like The Witch and like The Lighthouse, it's so meticulously constructed. Every little detail is exactly perfect to recreate this time period. But it's also just an incredibly thrilling story. It immerses you in this world and you have this visceral sense of the quest that the main character is on, that Alexander Skarsgård's character is on, and the violence is brutal. Uh, talking about Anya Taylor-Joy from The Menu, she is so good in this film, which I feel like she hasn't gotten the proper attention. I mean, she in general does, but for this one in particular, Nicole Kidman also so good and has this great speech where she reveals her true motivations and just absolutely devastates the main character. Um, so I, I don't know. I think this was the narrative on this was that it was a flop because it didn't make that much money at the box office. And Eggers had said some stuff that maybe he had to make some compromises for the studio. So maybe people don't see this as his pure vision or whatever. But if he did make compromises, they were the right ones, because I think this movie really works. Yeah, I love this movie. And I was surprised that it didn't make more top 10 lists at the end of the year. I was like, where is this thing? It deserves to be on there. And it is on my top 10 list a little further right. up. You're right on Nicole Kidman, man. She just owns every scene that she's in. Um, and Josh, this goes back to what I'm talking about. Where, like, how are we finding content? Why are we not finding content like this? Although the post, um, you know, floppiness or flopness Eggers meltdown was kind of amusing. Yeah, and I hope he picks himself up and gets to make more movies because I think he's very talented, even if he's a little, uh, I don't know, in his own head or whatever. And yeah, I think this movie, unlike Emily the Criminal, which managed to find another life on Netflix, this movie ended up on Peacock. And like, who watches that? That's I where I saw it. 
Oh, all right. Well, you, you're the one. Jason's the guy. Yeah, Yeah, it would have probably made my list if I had gotten a chance to rewatch it. I mean, it's it's freaking great. But um, I feel I feel like maybe I forgot about it a little bit too. Like you said, Josh, people forgetting about it. So yeah, I got to watch it again. Jason, what's your number seven? Number seven for me is one I told you guys to watch. I don't think either of you have seen it. (laughs) We Uh, didn't listen to you. Yeah, you should Mm -hmm. listen to me more. It's uh, Gerard Carmichael's On the Count of Three. I know I watched it. Oh, good, Dave. Thank you. Josh, I, I, I didn't. You're, yeah, you're I failed. just horrible. Um, <laughs> so Carmichael obviously had a huge year from a stand-up standpoint with Rathaniel as his special, you know, coming out. And um, he is, uh, you know, he's about to host the Golden Globes. He's a, he's a hot commodity. Um, I thought this was a really good, smart comedy about two depressed people. Um, and, you know, we see a lot of this, but... I thought this was a pretty honest take about two guys who say, Hey, let's have one more great day together and then kill ourselves. And like that could go really wrong as a plot, but I thought it went, it was really good and really honest. Um, this is the downfall. I would say is Carmichael is very limited as an actor. He's a much better director, but um, I really like this movie. It's got great set pieces. The comedy works and uh, it's just a good small comedy. I definitely want to watch it. I mean, it's on it's on my list and I didn't get to it, but I, I, I appreciate your your enthusiastic recommendation makes me very curious about it. Yeah, this didn't make my list, but I feel like I, while I was putting together my list, I was realizing how much I'm picking movies that were like fun and made me happy this year, you know, and I feel like this is the kind of movie that would have made my list in previous years. It, it, it's very good. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And I hope more people check it out. Yeah, hopefully, you know, this with our like top tens, we have such a sphere of influence that people will, <laughs> will you know, watch this film. It's but gonna... it, it's good, you know, and like it's a it's a small movie and he really showcases you can do a lot of, you know, great stuff within the parameters of something like that. Absolutely. Well, my number seven, I know Josh hates, and I know a lot of people hate, but uh, it's my number seven. It's Babylon from Damien Chazelle. Probably one of the most polarizing movies this year. I feel like it's either this movie is a fantastic exploration of of how much we love and hate Hollywood at the same time, or it's just pure trash. And uh, I don't know, some people fall on each side of that. I love it. You know, I, I think that this movie not only is just such a, a big, like, show-off-y movie of, like, look what I can do, and especially look what I could do with all this money, because, as we all know, it was, it was a lot of money was spent to make it, uh, but it's also, it's fun, it's exciting, it is uh, funny, it is a beautiful story for anyone who really, like, cares about movies and and movie making in hollywood and uh it's it's a big big swing and if you appreciate big big swings i feel like you should really get something out of it even if maybe not all of it works for you yeah i didn't i wouldn't say that i hated it i there were parts that i really liked um i almost you know we're doing those moments later i almost was putting one from this movie on there the the whole sequence where you see them shooting all these different silent films simultaneously and everything about this movie that showed you what the film industry was like, I was fascinated with. Mm-hmm. All the rest of it, I thought, was kind of self-indulgent garbage. So, okay. And yeah. there's a, a, too much more of that to, for, for, for me, I think. And, you know, it made me want to just, I felt like I could have spent three hours watching two 
uh, silent movies or something or two pre-code movies, um, I would have been, been uh, had a better time. But I, I wouldn't yeah. say that I hated it. Okay, that's fair. I'm going to watch it. It was one of these where it's like, hey, it's three hours and it's at the end of the year. And, yeah. um, you know, it is polarizing. I know, like Dave, you said big swing. People say that, you know, I would love to see Chazelle take on something that he doesn't write and see just what he does as a director with it. Well, he didn't write First Man. I would love to cut that part from here, Dave. <laughs> uh, well, th- to, to be fair, First Man's my least favorite of Chazelle's movies. So, you know, make of that what you will. Yeah, um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where he goes next. And because um, this movie's not doing well. No, uh, no, no, it is not very much not doing well, so. which is not surprising to me, even right. if I thought it it's was not. great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not the kind of movie that would have ever made money. So it's it's kind no. of insane. That I mean, I don't know much. if that's true. You know, I mean, um, we've seen we've seen auteurs make movies about Hollywood, uh, long sprawling epics that make money. I guess. But I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like this is the kind of thing that is destined to be a niche appreciation or that would have if it had gotten more universal acclaim would have gotten a bunch of oscars but wouldn't have made a huge amount of money i i don't know that that's the way it seems yeah it still might get oscar Mm. nods we'll have to see true true yeah we'll see what happens well josh what do you got for number six oh it's me again that's right (laughs) right. it keeps surprising him like it's still yeah yeah, well we just keep getting so so in the weeds here about various topics and then i just have to look back at my list so my number six is coconata's after Yang, his uh, sci-fi film. And this is right, the year of Colin Farrell, apparently. And to me, and I don't know if uh, the Banshees of Anishirin is going to come up here later. I won't be bringing it up. And to me, this is his best performance and just a really great movie. And I think one of the things that I love about this is that it's a sci-fi movie about feelings. It's it's not an action movie. It's not a thriller. It doesn't have a bunch of plot twists, all of which are things that I like. But I think the idea that this is a movie set in the future that is about a family dealing with grief, that is about the impact of technology on the way that we interact with each other um, is just fascinating. Coconata is a great visual director. I mean, this is only his second film, but between this and Columbus, he's so good at constructing spaces within the frame in terms of how he shoots, but also the set design, the blocking, everything about this, the costuming. And this is a future that is the opposite of so many futuristic movies, which are always very clean and very like bright and antiseptic. Everything's white and gray and whatever. And this is a future full of like dark greens and beiges. People have plants everywhere, including in their cars for some reason. And we never really know why that is, but it's cool. So um, yeah, this is another movie that I feel like was super highly acclaimed when it came out early in the year. And I haven't seen it on as many lists at the end of the year as I thought I would, but I really liked it. Yeah, this is a good movie. Um, I actually think Columbus, which might be more inaccessible, is is better movie, you know? I, I agree. Columbus is fantastic. Yeah. But um, I, I liked all the things that you said here. And, you know, I think back of like AI, which I know now has a huge following, but I didn't like AI when it came out. And I think this is a better version of AI. Um, and I like Koganata, uh, Colin Farrell. He's really, you know, when we talk about those guys, right, at um, uh, the McConaughey's and the Cages and the people who are reinventing themselves, like Colin Farrell's really hitting a sweet spot for himself right now. So, uh, I'm happy about the year he's having. And if he wins best actor this year, like awesome. 
I'll just pretend it's for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, it's really good. Um, I, I was a little confused on some of it, like, like, you know, the, the themes of it and whatnot. I kind of want to revisit it one of these days cause it's very beautiful and I love the score and he's great in it. Um, and it's, it's an interesting movie. I, I need to check it out again sometimes. I, I do too. But one thing I really liked is it wasn't just like, here's one robot or one clone they had all these different types of ai life and i thought that was really yeah. interesting yeah yeah it's it, like a I whole sci-fi world like right like crimes of the future this is a movie that doesn't have a huge budget but it gives you the sense of so much else going on beyond the scope of what it's showing yes exactly well uh jason what do you have for your next one? Oh man number six um i watched it and josh like you were saying movies that uh just stick with you like maybe this one more than any this year are is sticking with me. It's Park Chan Wook's decision to leave, um, which I can't honestly say. Like if you asked me to explain everything in there, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, but it is so good, Jesus man! It's like I mean, talk about big swings. This dude is just swinging for the fences. And if he's not hitting home runs, maybe he's hitting doubles and triples. But we all know this guy can construct a, a movie visually as good as anybody, right? You know, he's a master. And this story of a detective who is investigating a murder and falls for the suspect. And then like halfway through the story, we just cut to a year later and they kind of come back into each other's lives. And you get to this like really depressing but beautifully shot ending like this this movie just like this is what movies this is what i want from movies right like i want the big swings i want stuff that's affecting me i want people to take these chances and when they work to this extent like it's just like that's the beauty of the art form yeah i i i feel like i needed to maybe watch it again because like you said it is a lot of it is hard to parse at times and you have to pay close attention. And I think I was a little tired when I was watching <laughs> this movie. A, That is a tough way to watch this film. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I, I had yeah. to review it. So it was one of these scenarios where it was like, I got to watch it right now, whether I want to or not, this is the time. And, and I really liked it. I love Park Chan-wook. Um, and I agree with you. Like the, the way this movie is constructed visually is just outstanding. And even small things. I mean, there's, uh, I think on Twitter, people are passing around. There's this one like interrogation scene where you see the two characters and then you see them also in a mirror behind them. And mm. I don't even know if I know, I, Jason, I don't know if you noticed this, but I think I missed it in the scene watching it the first time, the way he shifts the, the focus so that one character in the mirror and the other character in the foreground are in focus. And apparently this was like an incredibly elaborate process to do this. And it's just a small interrogation scene where you might not even see it. But even in that moment, he's like meticulously constructing this thing. I didn't notice it. I can't wait to watch that again. I mean, you know, we look back at old boy in that like tracking shot fight scene and everything and how uh, influential that was like he's ahead of his time, I think, with everything. Yeah, yeah. he's amazing. I, I'm glad to hear that both of you had a little trouble following some aspects of it because <laughs> I feel a little less dumb over here because I felt the same way. But it's like it's so beautiful to look at. And and the the story itself is is freaking like a really interesting and amazingly put together thing. I definitely would like to watch it again. And also, I did see uh, Park Chan-wook said that he like really wants an American remake to happen of this. I'm curious to see what that's going to turn into. Does he want to direct it himself? 
no, I'm not I, sure. I think he's happy with letting like other people interpret his stuff. I mean, I can't say that, but I think I I remember him saying that. And it would be interesting, like who takes this? Who who could take like this would be a way better movie for Spike Lee to have taken on than Old Boy. I think. <laughs> yeah, probably. But I feel like so much of what's great about this movie, like we're saying, is the way he constructs it visually. And unless someone's gonna do like a Gus Van Zant shot for shot remake, which would not be good anyway, like I feel like you'd lose so much of what's good about this. I, I, I know, you know, like look, we know Scorsese with The Departed hit, hit you know hit the home run. I feel like I feel like Scorsese, someone like that, could take this. Yeah, I, I'm happy just to leave it. I mean, if he wants it remade, I guess that would be cool. But I, I'm happy to just leave it where it is, really. We should all just watch it again, basically. Yeah. What it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. Maybe someone can uh, help us through some of the things. Watch it, with some, watch it with commentary by someone who is smarter than us. Yes, That exactly. sounds good. That sounds great. Well, my number six is a lot easier to follow than Decision to Leave. It's Michael Bay's Ambulance, which <laughs> is basically bank robber's are stuck in an ambulance driving around LA and lots of explosions happen and a shitload of drone shots. Um, but honestly is I think Michael Bay's best movie since pain and gain. And probably since even before that, it is just nonstop. Like if you like anything about Michael Bay, th this is it. Like th this is him recapturing all of that. And, uh, it it's just so ridiculous. So nonstop and just crazy. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is just completely unhinged in it. Uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen is like a perfect action star, like straight man. And then Isaac Gonzalez kind of like steals the movie from, from the both of them. I mean, she is just so good in it. And, uh, you know, we do our, our top moments later. I, I have three different ones, but if I was to do a fourth, it would be the spleen surgery scene in this movie, which is just, just ridiculous. I heard audible, just like screams from the audience during this movie at that point it is just uh it is such a great theatrical experience and the drones you know whether you whether you're in or not on them i mean he does it like nobody else i think could have possibly done it yeah i don't like anything about michael bay so i despite the positive response to this i just like find it so hard to believe that that i would ever enjoy anything about this and it's two and a half hours long and i couldn't bring myself to see it it doesn't seem like a josh movie no yeah i think i've told my michael bay story on your podcast before dave so um you mm. know he is also not a fan of me yeah. <laughs> did you see right, this right. jason no I, no but i know it's got a uh big following so you know maybe down the line i will yeah i think you'll like it i just keep thinking of the fact that it's a remake of a movie that's 80 minutes long and it's an hour longer than the movie it's remaking that's that's and probably the script is 80 pages and it right. just says action goes here right like yeah we know yeah. he does that so yes yeah absolutely well uh josh let's go to your number five all right. Well, I'm back to animation for my number five pick, which is Pixar's Turning Red from Domi Shi. And weirdly, even though this is a movie about a girl who turns into a giant red panda, I feel like this actually fits in with the whole trend of filmmakers making movies about their own childhoods because this is heavily influenced by Domi Shi's own childhood. It takes place in 2002 in Toronto. And it's very much informed by her Asian-Canadian background and the conflict between these traditionalist uh, parents and this 13-year-old girl who just wants to enjoy her boy bands and go to a concert. And it's a 
the panda thing is a maybe obvious but also super effective metaphor for adolescence. And, mm -hmm. you know, going back to what you're talking about, Dave, about movies that just make you feel good. This movie is so fun. It's so yeah. entertaining. It's it's Pixar. So, of course, it looks gorgeous. The voice acting is super energetic, like all these young actors who are, you know, children actually playing children, which is not always the case in animated films um, are are great. Um, the original music, which uh, Billie Eilish and Phineas created for the boy band is super, super catchy. And it's just a movie that makes you feel good. And so I, I think, unfortunately, again, the theme of things being lost, Disney at the last minute decided this was going to be a Disney Plus only movie. And I don't know if it would have done well in theaters, but I certainly think it was more deserving than Lightyear of getting mm -hmm. a theatrical release. So it's on Disney Plus. I hope people are watching it. You know, it's so weird because I'm a big Pixar fan and um, like I like this movie, but I didn't love this movie. And I, I, I'd have to rewatch it to figure out what my criticisms were. But I do remember I had some and uh, it's fine. I just I just but people love it and I am not people. Yeah. Did you watch this with your daughter? Yeah. And she liked it a lot. And I, I liked it. I just I didn't have a place in my top 10, Josh. Yeah, fair. It was in my top 10 at the uh, midway point and I, I still love it. And I think it's probably the best of the like, you know, more traditional animation, nonstop motion animation uh, movies of the year and definitely the best out of Disney this year. Um, it's great. So great yeah, pick. Disney, Disney animation was had a rough, uh, a rough time yeah. otherwise this year. Yeah, a little bit. Well, uh, Jason, what's your number five? Well, speaking of animation, this is a movie that blew me away stylistically. The story is so good. And of course, um, my love and admiration for Jenny Slate goes on and on. It's Marcel the Shell with shoes on. It's so great. I watched this thing and I was like, I'm willing to watch this again like tomorrow. It's really just fun and innovative. I love the animation style. Um, it's got good camera work. There's a point towards the end of act two where like, they wrap it up so quickly and you're like, huh? And, but it, it just works. It, everything just works. Like it shouldn't work, but it does. Jenny Slate is awesome. This is my favorite Isabella Rossellini performance as the grandma. I just love this movie. It's a wonderful film. And I hope people find this movie. I, I agree. It's coming up even higher on my list, but I will say I also love it. And I somehow haven't gotten to it. It's one of the few movies at the end of the year that I was hoping to fit in and I didn't get to it. Uh, so I'm glad both of you are going to be bringing it up because uh, it looks fun. And yeah, you should really definitely give this a shot. It's, it's yeah. interesting because we talked about the Northmen and we're like, hey, why isn't this hitting more lists? But Marcel Deschel is finding a lot of year end lists, it feels like. And um yeah, I mean, it's an A24 release and they're great at, obviously they've had quite a year, everything every year, wear all at once. And they're great at finding homes and finding audiences. So I really hope this one catches on in streaming. Yeah, me too. I was happy to see it on, like you said, on more lists than I might have expected. And um, it's it's great that people are still appreciating it. And Jenny Slate. Just yeah, awesome. she's amazing. She's, just she's awesome. amazing. Jenny Slate rules. Yes. Yeah. She is great. Um. I will go for my number five. Um, I know you guys are both big Noah Baumbach fans, but uh, I absolutely loved White Noise, and I don't think it was as high for either of you uh, in in his filmography. But like, 
it's definitely not what you'd expect from him. And obviously part of that is because it's an adaptation of a book. So it's not really like his material or whatever, but, um, as a satire of like, I, everything like, <laughs> like so many things, existential dread, American life, big budget blockbuster filmmaking. Uh, it, it's just, I found it so funny and so weird. It's like, a little bit, uh, it's a little bit him, but also a little Wes Anderson-y, a little Spielberg, a little Lynch or Charlie Kaufman even, uh, a little bit Michael Bay. I mean, it's a little bit of everybody, really. Every kind of movie that we, uh, we've we spent the last 20, 30, 40 years watching uh, all rolled up into a ball of just existentialism. And uh, it's so weird and funny. And Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig are both hilarious. And Don Cheadle is just so ridiculous in it. and. Uh, the whole family has so many sweet moments in between all the ridiculousness and all the dark stuff. And, uh, it, it's a lot of movie and it's again, kind of like, um, like I was saying earlier, like w one of those movies, that's a little bit hard to recommend just cause it's so odd, but, um, I had so much fun with it. Yeah. I liked it too. I didn't have it on my best of list and I do love Noah Baumbach, but this is like you said, is nothing like any of his other movies. I appreciate that he took the big swing like you're talking about, Jason, and made a movie that's unlike his other movies and shows that he has the ability to make something this epic and this visually inventive and whatever. Um, I, I did like it a lot. I didn't feel like I necessarily got it all the time, but mm -hmm. I was always interested in it. Right on. Um, I also like this movie. I'm going to say it might be my least favorite Bombac movie because it's the most unbombacian of him, you know? Mm -hmm. But um, you want to talk about moments, I will have a piece of uh, a moment here uh, in our moments of the year. It's got a lot of good stuff. Just as an entirety, I'm not sure it all worked for me. Yeah. Right on. That's fair enough. Uh, Josh, number four. So... Continuing with animation and with the theme of filmmakers exploring their own childhoods, my number four is Apollo 10 and a Half, A Space Age Childhood, Richard Linklater's film about growing up in Houston in the late 1960s as the space program is getting ready to launch its mission to the moon. And this is another movie where I don't know why no one has remembered this film. Netflix seems to have not really cared about it even when it first came out. Um, they did nothing at all for it in terms of an awards push. And I don't understand why, because this is all what Linklater is really, really good at. Um, he's made multiple movies inspired by his own upbringing. And I feel like this movie can sit right alongside Dazed and Confused and Everybody Wants Some. It's sort of the prequel to those. Here we're seeing the version of Linklater as a 10-year-old and we had him in high school and we had him in college. And there's a continuity to these films, even though the characters are not actually the same. But he's so good at evoking nostalgia. Obviously, I wasn't alive at this time. I didn't grow up in Texas. But it makes you feel like you're wistful for things that you never even experienced yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack Black, who does the narration, is, is so good at that. The mix of humor and the sort of, uh, you know, the reminiscing and the rotoscoped animation looks great. So I, I feel like even people who like Richard Linklater movies maybe didn't know this was around, but it's there on Netflix. And I, I hope people watch it. Yeah, this totally bummed me out because I love this movie, too. I actually had it on my moments list for this year because I remember us talking about it on piecing it together. And I was like, I don't understand why this movie works, because it's basically <laughs> just an hour and a half of him like listing off things that he liked. 
And it's right. like, hey, remember Tang? Yeah. Hey, remember when the Astrodome opened? But it's so wonderful. And I, you know, Netflix totally blew it with this one. It's yeah. it's great. It's a great movie. And, you know, Linkletter is so thoughtful with what he does. I love this movie too, Josh. Yeah, that's I'm yeah, glad to hear great. it. I know you're a big Linklater fan. I am a yeah. huge Richard Linklater fan. Yeah, it's probably in my uh, top 20. It's it's uh, it's great. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear what moment you're going to bring up later, Jason. But uh, yeah, there there's a lot. Of well, now moments. I'm not going to do it because that was the whole idea of like why this movie worked. And it, it really shouldn't have worked. But Linklater pulls it off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I agree. I think I remember watching it and thinking like, this is just like an audio book almost, but yet I'm fascinated about right. what thing he's going to talk about next. Yeah, it was just yeah. so much fun to like, let's go on a car ride and listen to this guy talk for a while. Right, you know? right. <laughs> well, Jason, what's your number four? Number four for me is, um, uh, Dave, actually, I think you might have at one point said it was the most fun you had him at a movie theater. I love this movie. It's the unbearable weight of massive talent. The cage, as I call it, the cage of enlightenment. It's so much fun. I think people are saying, oh, he's in on the joke now. And it's like, he's been in, he's been the one creating the joke, dudes. Like yes. you're catching up to him now, you know? And um, this utilizes him and his penchant for comedy so well. And I just thought like the idea of like, hey, Nick Cage, go to a party, super fan there. That was enough. I was really worried that like when they turned it into like, you know, this kind of like, um, you know, crime movie or like, you know, buddy cop type thing, it wasn't going to work. But it just all escalated so wonderfully. And I believe this is another first time director, Tom Gormican, right? And um, yeah, it's so much fun. And um He's, I mean, honestly, between this and Pig last year and uh, Color Out of Space, was that what that one was called, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. he's just he's just rolling. I know we're, uh, <laughs> the next one doesn't look so good to me, the Western, but um, it's nice that people are finally catching back up to him. Yeah, I thought that movie was fun. I think I didn't, I wasn't on board with it as fully as you were, but I did enjoy it. And I think you got to shout out Pedro Pascal. Because the reason that whole buddy cop bit works is because Pedro Pascal is 100% on, in it with Nicolas Cage the whole time. <laughs> it's my number 11. And uh, I, I think that it's like a miracle that this movie like works. You know, like the, you only get one shot at a movie about Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage. And it, it works. And it's, it's amazing that it does. Like uh, there's a huge portion of this movie where they're just like talking about writing a screenplay. Which like if you were like if you were like so we're gonna have a lot of uh, talk in the movie about writing a movie like everyone would be like that's so boring for so many people like they don't know how to write movies they don't care but it just shows that if you do anything well like it can work and uh, <laughs> it's just so much fun I love this yeah, movie absolutely uh, well my number four uh, is a little movie on Shutter called Deadstream. Uh, from Joseph and Vanessa Winter. Everybody told me this movie is basically Evil Dead 2 if it was a found footage film. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, there's no way. Every time I hear a movie being compared to the Evil Dead movies, it never lives up to it. This movie absolutely lived up to it. It's just, it's 90 minutes of just nonstop ridiculousness with horror thrown in there. And, uh, it, your mileage is definitely going to vary with whether or not you can handle spending 90 minutes with this character. 
because he's such an asshole and he's basically um, a YouTube uh, streamer type guy and he goes into this haunted house uh, to and, and he's recently been canceled and <laughs> there's a lot going on here uh, with the character and his YouTube channel which we get little glimpses of and people's reactions to uh, but he's trying to like make make a comeback and so he goes into this haunted house with all this equipment that's also obnoxious to begin with um, and kind of makes fun of like the stream life type movies uh, or screen life type movies in the process of putting that all together but um, once he gets in there you just know that he's going to die and you just know that he's going to get fucked with by all the supernatural elements. And, uh, just like in classic Ash evil dead fashion, he's, they, they more mess with him more than anything. And it makes for so much comedy and it's so funny. And again, you're going to have to be able to live with 90 minutes of this guy talking into the camera. And if you can't, then I would say pass up on it. But if you can, it is so funny. And uh, just as a little bonus honorable mention, uh, Not Okay was another movie I loved this year and is kind of a perfect companion piece to this movie with Zoe Deutsch also uh, as a, a streamer type character who is just absolutely awful. And if you can if you can handle it, a whole movie with these kinds of characters, I think they're both great movies. Yeah, I like Deadstream, too. Um, not as much as you did, but I think it is the kind of thing that you hear about what it is and think this isn't going to work at all, but right. it, it is. And I think the obnoxiousness of that character is part of why it works, because they perfectly capture the exact kind of obnoxiousness of yeah. that really, really self-important streamer. And especially the like faux apology for being canceled for the stuff that he's done and things like that. Um, and they really play with the found footage format. I love the idea that, you know, in, in found footage movies, if you really stick to it, you can't have any non-diegetic music. You can't have a score. And so what yeah. do they do? They have this character carry around a tape recorder with scary music that he plays. So there's a reason for you to hear it. And it's yeah. just very clever. So, you know, it's not anywhere really near my top 10, but I did write a piece on the best horror movies of the year and I put it on that list. It's a lot of fun. Oh, I'm glad you did. Um, awesome. I don't know this movie, but I'm going to look it up. I mean, this sounds like one I could get into. Yeah, it awesome. is fun. I, I think Dave is right. If you watch the first 10 minutes and you're like, I can't handle this guy, then turn it off. But if, if you can, then it's a lot of fun. All right. right on. Well, Josh, number three. All right. Well, my number three is a movie that we already mentioned. It's Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. And I, like Jason, I just loved this movie. I mean, you talk about a movie that makes you feel good, that makes you feel like connected to humanity, even though it's not about a human, right? It's about a little talking <laughs> shell. But Jenny Slate is so good at making that little shell into this like beautiful, well-rounded presence and the 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 perspective of Marcel with this optimism tinged with melancholy and this movie is about the loss of family it's about the loss of community it's about grief it's about how can anyone connect with anyone else which are all these like super super heavy topics and yet it's funny and it's light and it's silly and it has all these goofy jokes that are also profound observations about life and stylistically too i mean this is a movie that looks sort of quote low budget or rough because it's shot in this mockumentary style but you think about how they have to integrate the stop motion animation into this very natural looking mockumentary thing with the cameras kind of shaking and whatever and it's put together incredibly well so 
I just honestly, I watched this because I was looking for something short that was I needed to catch up. And I was like, ah, maybe this one. And it just really wowed me so much. I love it. I'm with you, bro. Yeah, I'm with you. Maybe I have time to watch it real quick since it's short and then I can change my list. Right. Pause, pause the podcast right now and go watch it. (laughs) No, it's lovely. And Josh, I mentioned in the last part, like, you know, when we talked about death becomes her, I was just felt like, and you argued for the, uh, an awesome movie or you argued for the performance of Isabella Rossellini. And I just thought it was just, it just didn't work for me. I think she's so great in this as the grandma character. She's so much fun. And, like her quirkiness, just the whole thing is quirky and it just, it just keeps working. Everything just keeps working about this. Yeah. And it's almost like, it's like genuinely her in a way. There's some, I think she posted on social media somewhere, this little like crude video that she made herself and she's, she's like shooting her laptop screen or something and looking at some award nomination that it's got. And she's so like genuinely thrilled. And she's like, oh, look, Marcel Deschel with two shoes on. And that's how she says the name of the title. And it's just, I don't know. I can't do the impression, obviously, but it's just so heartwarming to see. And it's like, oh, she's just like that. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to watch it soon. Uh, Jason, what's your number three? My number three, Josh, I'll trade you since you did one that I already mentioned. I'll do one that you already mentioned. My number three is The Northman. Um, You know, Robert Eggers, I know there's like a cult of Eggers. I am not part of it, but I do like him. Uh, This is awesome. This movie is awesome. I mean, dude, I saw it on Peacock, but to to have seen the, the, the look of this and the action sequences on the big screen, would have just been incredible. I feel like this utilizes all of his talents um, greatly, like just perfectly. And like, you know, talk about attention to detail, right? Didn't he like reconstruct these Viking ships and go and shoot this in like the icy, horrible conditions of Iceland and elsewhere. And I just thought, um, as we already mentioned, Nicole Kidman just owns this thing. The whole thing looks great. It's, um, got a uh, clear and um, hateable villain. Like, it's just a great movie. Yeah, I mean, the, the the meticulous reconstruction is like, even I think I was reading about something where it's like a boat that we just see in the background in one scene, but he's like, we have to get this to perfect specifications, like the shoes that they wear, every little detail. And and it you think it's small and it's inconsequential, but it all contributes to the sense that as you watch this movie, it feels almost like as if someone traveled back in time and brought a camera with them to Viking times. You you know, I wonder if like, you know, they kind of, they advertise this as like the auteur, you know, the next auteur piece from Robert Eggers. Maybe they should have taken like some of that Blumhouse style trailer and just, uh, um, you know, kind of work and just, advertise this as an action movie because this is right. a great action movie too it is it really is the moment when he catches the spear and throws it back at the guy that's yes. that's one of the best trailer moments of the year for sure right so. and uh, that game that they play that old soccer uh game where they almost do murders on each other the whole thing is, <laughs> it's it's big time yeah good stuff it's awesome it's great uh my number three is the banshees of inishirin from martin mcdonough um i feel like in a perfect world, this will sweep the Oscars in a few months and win basically everything from Colin Farrell for Best Actor. Somehow give Brendan Gleeson Best Actor also, uh, because Barry Keoghan needs supporting and Carrie Condon supporting actress. Uh, the score from Carter Burwell is amazing. I love Martin McDonough. Um, I, I know a lot of people don't like Three Billboards, but I, I thought it was great. Uh, Seven Psychopaths was 
my favorite movie of the year it came out in Bruges. Like he's great, and this is one of his best, uh, definitely. Um, the two the two leads are of course what it's all about though is Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, and they're so great and so much fun to watch. And uh, I I feel like in a lot of ways there's always been a lot of comparisons you can make between McDonough and the Coen Brothers and. We haven't had a Coen Brothers movie in a long time. This feels like the closest thing we've had to a Coen Brothers movie where there's there's so much of that dark humor, the the, the themes of like friendship and the what does it all mean and uh, what, what is fairness, what is niceness and the, the thoughts on music is, is great as, as a musician because I certainly identify with some of that. And it's just everything and everybody in this movie is firing on all cylinders and uh, I, I'm glad that it seems like most people kind of are in that same boat yeah i wish i could be in that boat with you <laughs> i yeah i i was hoping because like i'm i'm one of those people where i don't like mcdonough at all and i mm-hmm. i mean i hated seven psychopaths i think that movie is just absolute garbage and mm-hmm. i don't particularly even in bruges which people who are down on like you said three billboards there's gets a lot of criticism and people still love in bruges i haven't liked any of his movies but i still i read a lot of reviews of this from people who said basically the same i didn't care for martin mcdonough's films but this one is great and i wish i could feel that way and i didn't hate it but I just didn't feel like it worked. It, it To me, it had a lot of the weaknesses of his other films. It feels uh, overwritten. It feels phony. It feels like it's about themes rather than people. And it just, I, Carrie Condon, I thought was good as the only one I believed is like a real human in this movie. But overall, it didn't work for me. You know, uh, so first of all, I am one of those people. I'm mixed on McDonough. I don't like Three Billboards. I didn't like Seven Psychopaths, but will revisit it. And in Bruges, I liked, but I wasn't like a huge fan of. So I really want to watch that again. I love this movie. And Josh always talks about seeing movies about friends. I like movies about friendship. You know, this is the friendship movie of the year. It starts with a friendship ending. And uh, so, Josh, you're betraying your own, um, you know, kind of uh, psyche here. I love this movie. I think the fact that it takes place on an isolated island and in Ireland, like adds to it. Again, we're talking about a small place, a contained environment, and he just makes the most of it. It looks beautiful. The acting is all there. As I already said, I think Colin Farrell should win Best Actor. And Carrie Condon grounds the whole piece. Like she's amazing in it. Like this, um, this is a, a great movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't need to continue to to harp on this movie that you guys both love, but I will say. The movies that and I you're right, Jason, I love those movies about friendship. I love them. They're the opposite of this movie. They're movies about the power and greatness of friendship. And this is a movie about people where I don't understand why they were friends in the first place and I don't understand why they become enemies. And none of it, I think, echoed what I love about great buddy friendship kind of movies. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think all those things are clear why they're yeah. friends in the first place. It's a tiny island it's just proximity i mean honestly that's part of it and then one of them just wants to move on uh because of his you know penchant for leaving behind some great piece of art but yeah this this made me laugh a lot i like these style of movies like i'm not gonna lie i'm trying to make a movie in ireland that's got nothing to do with this time period but is very like kind of small and features just a few main characters and it's a lot of walking and talking stuff so this uh this one really did it for me I've read the script of Jason's Ireland movie that he's trying to make, and I think it's much better. Yeah. Wow. So if, if McDonough wins for a uh, best original screenplay, 
Maybe we can use that as a selling point, Josh. There you go. You should. (laughs) Josh, what's your number two? My number two is Ty West's X. And this was my number two at the half year. And and this is one that like at the half year, it was not, it had stuck with me. I watched it, I think Dave, the night before we recorded yeah. that podcast and just loved it. And I still love it. Um, Ty West has had this amazing year between X and Pearl, which I also think is really good. And I think has sort of overshadowed X in a, on a lot of like top 10 lists and things like that. Um, but I liked this more and I've, loved Ty West. I think uh, The House of the Devil and The Innkeepers were both like top 10 movies for me the years that those came out. And I just think he's so brilliant at he's obviously someone who has a deep, deep understanding of all the horror traditions. And so this is a great recreation of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and other grindhouse movies from the 1970s. But it's also got much better character development and acting than those movies often did for other reasons. But I think he's so good at combining the aesthetic of those older movies and not just feeling like he's in a cover band. Like he's also doing his own thing. The performances are really good here. Mia Goth, of course, is having this amazing year. She's got the dual roles in this and she's great in Pearl. Jenna Ortega also having an amazing year as this new scream queen. She's really good in this film. All of the performances, I think, are really strong. Stylistically, it's so creative and it's scary. It's an intense slasher movie. It's got cool, gory moments. So I I just loved it to me. The best horror movie of the year and, and one of the best movies overall. Uh, so I'm not a huge horror fan, as you know, but this is also right. one of my trends of the year is like when we're talking about taking big swings, um, I feel like horror is the genre that's doing it. You know, you got Barbarian this year. And uh, what's the other one I'm thinking of, Josh? Smile. Sure. We'll take that one. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, there was Resurrection, the Tim Roth movie, which whether yeah. like it or not, just insane plot twist in there, you know. I like this movie. Again, he's a, he's a great filmmaker. Uh, you mentioned the uh, two of the three leads. I think Brittany Snow also gets credit for yeah. reinventing herself as kind of this indie type darling who's really starting to show up. Kid Cudi does a good job in this movie as an actor. Yeah. You know, um, I think everyone, everyone's good. You know, um, Stephen Yuri obviously, as the, the old man. Right, Josh? Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but uh, thank you, Josh. Thank you for that. And I also like the way it tied together. I mean, it's a little, um, it's a little obvious at the end how it ties together, but it worked for me. And Ty West is just a really interesting filmmaker. Yeah, I, I'm glad that he's having this huge success because, like I said, I've been really into his films for a long time, and those movies are always like they're good. Like they're popular indie horror movies, but they hadn't broken beyond that. And I'm glad that he is now. All right on. Yeah, no, I, I like both X and Pearl. They're both really good. And I, I guess we'll see how they wrap it up next year with Maxine. I can't but, wait for uh, that. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, it, uh, hopefully it's good. Yes. But uh, Jason, what's number two? Dave, my number two is a movie called The Banshees of Inishirin. Uh mm-hmm. I have so much to say about it. I've already said it. I love this movie. It's delightful. I'm with you. If it can win all the Oscars, I'm for that. Um, But we'll see what gets nominated. But just love this movie and was so happy to see it. It was just a delight to sit through. And it's smart and it's funny. And um, right, like you said, the tech team and the on-screen team are just firing on all cylinders. Just, Just a great film. 
Yeah, I'll just add uh, also some of the best uh, animal acting of the year in this. Oh uh, well, so I will, in there too. Uh, yeah, it it is it is good animal acting, but not the best animal acting of the year, Dave. Uh, oh yes. Well, this is the this is the year of the donkey. I feel like we've <laughs> mentioned already two of the three big donkey movies from this year. I will be mentioning the third in our uh, right. in our moments. <laughs> nice. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, my number two is a movie that I know that uh, Jason doesn't like, but I'm going with it anyway. Uh, I had to choose between story and spectacle for my number two and number one because they're honestly they could be tied, but I decided uh, I had to go with my number one as what it is. So number two is Three Thousand Years of Longing from George Miller, which is the movie that I feel like meant the most to me as a, a creative person, as somebody who cares so deeply about making something about making art and i do consider my music to be like storytelling and uh the way that george miller tells this story about the power and importance of storytelling and how important it can be to people is uh something that i feel like people just either didn't understand didn't connect with i i'm not quite sure what it is i know the movie is probably not sold correctly it was sold as the next big action epic thing from the mad max fury road guy and it's definitely not that movie and I know a lot of people were uh, too hung up on it, quote unquote, being a romance between a genie and a woman, which is also not what the movie is at all. A gin. And uh, yes, a gin. And either way, genie or gin, it's not that. Um, <laughs> but uh, what it is is a celebration of how important stories are to to people. And it is a, a wonderful story of that. And Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton are perfect. And I'm convinced that in 10 to 15 years, this is going to be a movie that gets majorly reassessed and uh, people are going to come around on. I mean, I'm going to disagree with everything you've said there, Dave. As (laughs) I said in piecing it together, this was my most disappointing film of the year. And part of that is the way that they did advertise it. It was really they advertised it as another George Miller action piece, which, you know, he's the best. But we know he can make awesome movies in other ways. Babe, Pig in the City is a great movie, you know. Um, But see, this is why I'm I'm actually really glad that this went back to back with Banshees of Inishirin, because all the stuff that you're talking about, I feel is complete bullshit in this movie. I think Banshees does so much better. I think they're... uh, discussion on art and what it means to leave that behind and how important it can be is done so well in Banshees. And here, I just think it hits you over the head. I mean, she's literally going to a conference where they're talk about stories and why stories are important, right? Like Mm -hmm. I just don't, I, none of it connected with me. Idris Elba, who I think is so charismatic is very one note in this thing. The choppiness of the segments didn't work for me. I get it. He's telling a story. And if we're going to go with cold female performances, I'll take um, I'll take Kate Blanchett and Tar over Tilda Swinton and Three Thousand Years of Longing all day long here. So this was a huge, huge miss for me. I saw it the same night as I saw Emily the Criminal, and thank goodness I saw this one first. <laughs> I, I haven't seen this, but given this extreme uh, dissonance here, I'm I'm still curious to check it out. I mean, I hear a yeah. lot of people say, "Oh, it's about stories, and we love stories." Yeah, we fucking love stories. That's great. You got to do a little more than just say that. It has to be said in an interesting way, and this I, one just. I did think not it, do it does. I think it does a lot more than just say that. But you know, it, I don't think there's going to be any way to kind of turn your opinion on that, though. Sure, it's it's what it is. You loved it. I hated it. Yeah. Uh, clearly, I was right based on 
box office returns. <laughs> Which, of <laughs> course, as we know, is the yeah. only way to judge a film's quality. No, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, does it have a following? Sure. Do a, does it have a more negative reception than positive reception at this point? I think it does. Yeah, yeah. I, I do yeah. think Dave is in, in more of a minority here, but that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, fine. I, am. I will just say one one quick thing uh, that I do think is funny, considering that I have a feeling me and Jason have the same number one. Yes. And uh, our number two and number three mixed up together with Banshees of Inishirin. So the fact that this one was so out there, uh, like opposite ends of the spectrum from him, uh, I think it's, you know, movies are awesome and that's cool. Uh, movies are awesome. Awesome movie year. Yeah. That's well, right. you know, as I was saying at the beginning- I was uh, making that point and Jason was disagreeing, saying that movies were not awesome. No, I, and I still feel like this was a very weak year for movies. I've said it over and over again. It's me, Tarantino, Scorsese, and, uh, and Aubrey Plaza. And I'm, happy and, Aubrey to be, Plaza. and I'm happy to be in that company, Josh. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> well, uh, we're on to number ones. Josh, what do you got? Well, speaking of movies that no one else likes, my number one pick is a movie that no one else seems to remember or like. I've seen it on zero lists. Um, it did not get great reviews, but this is a movie that I think like Mar I, maybe a little like Marcel the Shell, but I had more expectations for it. But this is a movie that I watched almost as an afterthought just because I needed something to potentially review uh, on on TV the week that it was coming out. And I happened to have the screener and I thought, oh, I can just check this one out. It's probably okay. And I just was mesmerized the entire time I was watching it. Uh, it's a period drama called Mothering Sunday, directed by Eva Husan. And it takes place in 1924 in the English countryside. And it sort of has this weird, like, you know, not weird, has a, a familiar Downton Abbey-ish feel at first. Um, the main character is a housemaid at one of these fancy uh, country estates. Uh, she's played by Odessa Young, and she's having an affair with one of these wealthy uh, sort of, yeah, I don't know, layabouts. Not that that's that's the right word, but this wealthy heir, this young man who is uh, from another household, played by Josh O'Connor. And so it's I to me, it's this very good romance. It's, it's very sexually explicit, which I appreciated in this very artistic way. It's got this very sensual scene of Odessa Young's character, like walking through the library, just sort of caressing the books. And um, it, it shows the longing that she has. I know Stories. that sounds incredibly silly. Yes, but it does. It shows the longing that she has for the luxury and not the luxury of having servants or having a big house necessarily, but the luxury of being able to have this many books because she wants to be a writer and she probably would, you know, luxuriate in just hanging out in this library and reading. And it's a movie that takes place over the course basically of a single day as uh, her lover dies in a car accident and she's dealing with that. But it's got all of these impressionistic flashbacks and flash forwards to to give you the sense that this day sort of encompasses everything important about her life. Um, it's got Colin Firth and Olivia Coleman, who are two of the biggest British actors, and they're just kind of in the background here uh, in this storyline about this couple who lost their son in World War One. A lot of it is also about this lost generation of so many people who died in World War One and how these people left behind are picking up the pieces. So this just worked for me on every level. You go to Letterboxd and almost all the reviews are like, this is boring. It looks pretty, but nothing happens. And so I, I, I weirdly, I'm like, I don't know if I can recommend this to people because I feel like it just worked for me on 
in, in every way and maybe not for most other people, but it's it's stuck with me since March and I just I really loved it. So Mothering Sunday is my number one. Um, I didn't see it, but if it's anything like your last number one dreamland, I'm going to be, uh, very underwhelmed, like with all those letterbox people. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is my weird, the last three years, my number one pick has been a movie like this, like dreamland and French exit. That was a movie that was not loved by almost anyone was on no one's lists. And just, I saw and, and just worked for me immediately. No, that's cool. And I mean, it's, it's good to mix it up with, uh, you know, the, the biggest movie of the year that is going to be our number ones coming up yeah. in yeah. a second. Let's hear about it. <laughs> yeah. Number yeah. one, Dave, it's gotta be Top Gun Maverick, baby. Oh yeah. Oh, it's the most fun action packed, um, just exhilarating thrill ride that there is. Ah, are there plot holes? Who gives a fuck baby who gives a fuck <laughs> those action sequences are the best thing on film this year and it's so much fun and tom cruise is the last movie star top gun maverick number one and the world agrees <laughs> and that's not why i picked it as number one obviously i wouldn't pick it just because it's a big hit because normally i don't but i just love this movie it's so much fun and it's so awesome and it's the best movie um, and Tom Cruise was right to let us see it on a big screen. Absolutely. He was. And yeah, and I, it, you know, part of the, the movie is everybody like watching him fly and like, you know, it's like, holy shit, he's going to do it. And like, that was all of us in the theater, like watching him pull off this movie and make it be the biggest thing in the world. And it's just, yeah, it, it's just so much fun. And, uh, you know, you said you don't care about the plot holes. I also don't care if it's military propaganda. Who gives a shit? It's Who cares? just the best time America! this year. Hell yeah. I'm I'm all in a hundred percent. Tom Cruise is perfect. Glenn Powell and Miles Teller and Ned Harris and Jennifer Connolly, John Hamm, they're all freaking great in it. And uh yeah, it's just sometimes you gotta have fun at the movies. John Hamm, there he is again in this one. But uh Twice. I agree. Ed wow. Harris, uh Jennifer Connolly. It's interesting because Jennifer Connelly is so good in this movie that if you remember when they were doing this, there was this controversy of like, oh, why couldn't they use Kelly McGillis? Because she's an older woman and this and that. But Jennifer Connelly is so good and so beloved. They're like, eh, fuck off, Kelly McGillis. <laughs> you know, so um, <laughs> it's just the best. And the action sequences and the callbacks to the original are great. Miles Teller, um, I really think, had a movie star year this year. And Tom Cruise is, like I said, the last real movie star at the age of 60. He's just going balls to the wall. This kind of, you know, relationship with Chris McQuarrie, who's like his personal producer, has just turned into something golden. Yep, absolutely. Josh, fan, not fan in the middle? I mean, it was fine, I guess. Yeah. I didn't I didn't yeah. dislike it. I don't I don't get like it was a fun, still silly blockbuster I appreciated the real stunts because you can definitely tell that they're doing real things and they're not in a parking lot in Atlanta like they are in Marvel movies. I, I don't get it as like the best movie of the year or one of the best movies of the year. Um, it was kind of fun. I I like I you were mentioning I forgot Ed Harris was even in it. Like that's how much this movie has stuck with me. So I, I don't know. I'm not going to, you know, unlike some of these other things, I don't have a bunch of negative things about it. It was just like, I don't know wh wh why, 
Like that's yeah. all. I had a nice time and I literally didn't think about it for one moment afterwards. Were you upset that now that Tom Cruise did not try to fuck some books in this movie, Josh? I mean, would that not have been an interesting moment? <laughs> yeah, but he would have done it at zero G's like while flying in a, you know, harrowing valley in between two mountains. Sure. Sure he would have. <laughs> that sounds pretty great. Uh yeah, let's uh let's let's throw a few honorable mentions out there. Uh Josh, is there any uh any any things that didn't make your top 10 but things that you really wanted to kind of shout out? I mean, there are quite a few, so I won't I won't give you a whole long ass list. Uh some some of which were mentioned already. Um looking at I don't know, smaller films, I would like to shout out a film that was on my uh half-year list called All My Puny Sorrows that is an adaptation of a Miriam Taves novel, which has gotten a lot of it. She's gotten a lot of attention because she wrote the novel that Women Talking is based on. And I haven't mm. seen Women Talking yet, and I hope that that's I hope to, to love that film, but I want to give a shout out to this much smaller Canadian film with an amazing performance from Alison Pill, uh, as well as Sarah Gaydon. It's a heavy, heavy movie about suicidal uh I had thoughts and uh, tendencies and the sibling relationship, but really well acted. So um, I like that movie a lot and a movie that I think I mentioned on a piecing it together as a, as a recommendation that's on movie called teenage emotions that I saw at the virtual slam dance back in 2021, but came out this year and just is something that stuck with me like a really, really well-made naturalistic film about teenage emotions that, was made by a high school film teacher with his high school students as like the cast and crew. And it just, because of that, feels incredibly real and incredibly honest and is is funny and is genuinely involving. So that's not a movie that I think almost anyone has seen, but I'd love to see that get, uh, get more attention. And uh, Official Competition, which is a really fun- I wanna see that. Is yeah. so like one of the best comedies of the year, this great, like movie business satire and it's a it's a spanish film with antonio banderas and penelope cruz and they're so funny in it penelope cruz just giving one of her best performances is this like one of these like incredibly narcissistic directors she's got the best hair in this movie this like giant <laughs> mass of hair that like does half of her acting and it's just it's a fun because we've seen a million showbiz satires but this is more of a satire of like the kind of you know international prestige movie or whatever mm. that you would see at a film festival and um i don't know how many people saw it but it's it's really a lot of fun yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to probably watch that like in the next week or something. But uh, yeah, great, great ones. Uh, Jason, how about you? Any honorable mentions? I'll give you some honorable mentions. And again, I'm talking about themes here. Where are the documentaries, guys? Where are the documentaries? Oh. I think what we're having is a crisis in really just great documentaries right now because all of them have been turned into eight-hour limited series and something that could yeah. be a, a fun you know, hour and a half, two hours is now just bloated. So to yeah. see a great documentary is much tougher. Um, you know, I, the one, you, you know, and it's funny, we're talking about movies that got lost. I guess it's 2021, The Rescue, but that could really kind of float into 2022. I believe it's the same filmmakers who did the um, uh, free solo movie, right? And it's about the rescue of the Thai soccer team, the boys soccer team who got trapped in the cave. And speaking of lost movies, whatever happened to that one that Ron Howard made with 
Colin Farrell and Chris Hemsworth. Like that should have been a blockbuster, right? And nobody even knows yeah. what that movie is. And I it's guess. pretty good. I mean, it's very mainstreamy, but it's it's a good movie. I watched. Is it Chris Hemsworth in it? I don't know. Uh, no, it's not Hemsworth. It's Viggo Mortensen is in it, right? Yeah, we Viggo talked about Mortensen. earlier. Yeah. Well, see, that's yeah. how lost it is. I didn't even know who the co-stars yeah. were. I didn't but, see. It. I didn't. But see I mean, it. it's I big stars. It's Ron Howard. It's a real life right. harrowing tale. It should have been a hit. I didn't see that one, but I did love the rescue. Uh, Fire of Love is an interesting uh, one. The territory is interesting. Um, you know, kind of. Uh, I think we all see that uh, all the beauty and, uh, and the bloodshed is probably going to win everything. And I thought that one was was good, not as perhaps good as the others. But I I miss this. Like, you know, a few years ago, Dave, we were talking. We were doing like top five documentary episodes, and I don't think we're yeah. there this year. You know, so. Yeah. That's one of them. I think, you know, everything everywhere all at once doesn't need me to champion it because it's done so well for itself, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's got so many memorable sequences. Um, I didn't love it as much as a lot of other people. But, um, again, um, if I ever win an office trophy, I know what I'm going to do with it now. And the last one I want to mention is uh, Kimmy, Steven Soderbergh's movie with Zoe Kravitz. Again, I think a lot of filmmakers, maybe because of the pandemic, have been making these smaller, more contained movies. And this is, um, you know, a thriller. It's got elements of technology. Um, you know, it's not a screen life movie, but a lot of it does take place on a screen. And it's just a really good version of showing how Soderbergh can really make great movies um, with very small, limited kind of surroundings and small stories. Yeah, I think weirdly Soderbergh has somehow become an underrated filmmaker with these movies that he's doing that we're going just direct to streaming. And I like Kimmy a lot. I really liked No Sudden Move, which I think was on my top 10 yeah, last year or the year before. Um, and going back to his Netflix films, I, I love High Flying Bird. So it seems like now that he's back in the Magic Mike world, people are going to pay attention to him again. Yeah. But um, all of that stuff is, well, maybe not all of it, but some of it is, is super underrated. I mean, No Sudden Move is a very good movie. And I think really kind of started this Brendan Fraser uh, comeback train, which yeah. um, again, if he, if it's not Farrell, then it's probably Frazier who wins best actor. And that's great too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll skip over the honorable mentions that we've already kind of brought up in the conversation. Instead, I'll bring up Bones and All uh, for Luca Guadagnino, which I really loved and almost made my list. Timothy Chalamet, and uh, her name is escaping me, Josh. You know her Taylor name? Russell. Taylor Russell, yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're both great. And then, of course, Michael Stahlberg shows up in one of my favorite performances of the year, and that is so good. And uh, Mark Rylance is great, too. Um, I'll also throw in Windfall, a little movie that nobody remembers but josh and i covered on the show uh which i love and uh, i'll talk about more on our top 10 scores episode of the year uh, in a couple weeks also barbarian of course was so much fun and uh rrr absolute bananas insane movie uh so much fun and i know it was connected with a lot of people uh and last one i'll throw in there jackass forever a blast Jackass Forever, super fun. I had so much fun watching it in the movie theaters. Um, RRR, Dave, I it's um, Law of Diminishing Returns. It's so long, and there's it's so so, long. so many agree. of those sequences <laughs> that they lose meaning to me, you know? Yeah. And then uh, Windfall is a garbage pile. 
Now I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. And as Dave said, I really liked Windfall. We were the two people who liked it, and I <laughs> think it's 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 really good and really underrated. And and I liked Bones and All a lot too. That was uh, really well acted. And uh, you know this weird mix of this like sort of elegiac you know romance and also cannibalism. It doesn't. It's like you know it's another thing where you think like this shouldn't work, but somehow it does. <laughs> I'm excited yeah. to see that. I didn't get around to it yet, but you know, Luca is another one of these um, auteurs where he demands all control. He won't make a movie if he doesn't have total control. And what you get is bones and all, as opposed to like a Bardot, <laughs> something which uh, I haven't seen. So maybe I shouldn't judge. Yeah, don't 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 waste your time with that one. Yeah, and it's very long. Yeah, uh, yeah. So as we do every year, uh, we're going to talk our favorite movie moments of the year. So, uh, Josh, what do you have for three movie moments? And for everyone listening, these can be from movies that you just brought up in your top tens, or they can go out into some other films as well. All right. Well, I was trying to come up with things for movies that we weren't going to talk about, and they're not movies from my list, but we did talk about some of this stuff. So, um, Mm -hmm. but here's what I have. So starting off with, I, you know, I talked about X and Mia Goth, who is great in that and Pearl, the prequel, which I really liked, but not quite as much. And I think people have, that's kind of jumped ahead in people's estimations, but I will want, I do want to shout out the monologue that Mia Goth gives in Pearl. And this seems like a year of these amazing monologues. Jason mentioned Resurrection with Rebecca Hall has this great monologue. Um, but to me, like Mia Goss' whole performance in Pearl is fantastic. But this this long speech that she gives that is simultaneously like terrifying and heartbreaking about what she's been enduring as her husband is away at war and as she is trying to sort of break out of this oppressive family that she's in. And you know, Ty West just trusts her so much in this film to just let her go. And, you know, she's the co-writer of this film as well. Like, it's really almost her movie as much as it is his. And she just brings it like and you are mesmerized. She can talk for however long it is, you know, eight minutes or like way longer than you think any monologue in a film should ever go. And you're just with her the entire way. So I, I loved that moment in Pearl, which is a really good movie overall. Yeah. I love that it sticks with her that whole time. And then you get the reaction shot from the other girl, like, you know, and like, you just know her face is going to be horrified, you know? Right. Which is exactly what happens in resurrection as well. I got to watch, I got to watch that. Um, But I, you know, you're talking about movie star monologues. Uh, You know, I mentioned Armageddon time, the Anthony Hopkins kind of reveal piece is like, it just shows like what a master he is, but um, I don't want to steal from your moments, Josh. Well, thank you, Jason. Um, so my next one is very, very different. And this is something that Dave talked about. It is the Beavis and Butthead discovering white privilege in Beavis and Butthead <laughs> to the universe. Yes. And it's the kind of thing that I think one of the concerns with this film is like, how is Mike Judge going to handle like social commentary in 2022 and you just worry that he's going to say some terrible like out of touch thing and it's just this perfect balance between like mocking people who uh you know don't believe in white privilege or don't understand white privilege and also mocking the sort of over reliance on this idea of it as the cause of everything maybe and yeah. it's just this perfect balance where you can you know, he's not trying to offend people and yet he is really effectively satirizing everything about it. So I love that most of the movie isn't about modern social commentary. It's just about look at how dumb Beavis and Butthead are, which is what's great mm. about them. But when he finally does take it on, he does it really, really well. And it's just one of the funniest things in any movie this year. 
Absolutely. Josh, I'm glad you could poke fun at your white privilege. Thank you, Josh. white. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and lastly, uh, a movie that you mentioned, Dave, briefly, uh, Barbarian, which I didn't love as many as much as everyone else loved, I think maybe in part because the hype for it was like, oh, it's so crazy. And it does so many like uh, weird, like out of left field things. And it kind of does, but it also kind of doesn't. But one thing that I did love that it did that was very like subversive of horror tropes is the scene where Justin Long discovers that this house that he owns has this horrifying secret like torture basement. And his first reaction is to get out his tape measure and figure out what the square footage is of the basement so he can now charge higher rent for people who <laughs> live in this house. And it's just such the opposite of what you think a character will do in a horror movie where they'll be terrified of this thing. And he's just like so eager to walk down in the basement. He's not stopping and like being freaked out by the blood covered mattress or whatever. He's just like, how can I make more money from this? So that to me is the moment. It's not one of the scariest moments or craziest moments, but it's just such a clever, you know, it's, it shows you that Zach Kreger has seen so many horror movies and he knows exactly what the way is to subvert this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Justin Long is so good in it. And yeah, Zach Kreger, definitely you could tell uh, he's seen it all basically. Yeah. <laughs> and that's great. Jason, what do you got for your three moments? All right. So, you know, I had a few on there, like we talked about like Apollo 10 and a half. And uh, once we talked in length on these things, I, I kind of moved to other things like, cause I had a bunch of moments. So, you know, Dave, I saved this one. Um, so the airborne toxic event sequence and white noise is, is like perfect. It's such a great throwback to an eighties like disaster movie. And, you know, obviously referencing, like you said, Spielberg and all these kind of uh, tropes of the eighties, three mile Island, everything like that. Um, as they're trying to escape their house and Adam driver just keeps, uh, you know, messing it up and everything is, it's just great. Like it's a long sequence. That to me is the peak of the movie. And it's not just the escape. It's like when they get to that first, I guess it's a Boy Scout camp or whatever. And that whole sequence where like the son who is kind of, um, you know, maybe not the most social, like becomes like a star there. And, you know, the daughter's telling Adam Driver how he might be exposed to everything. And they do that whole kind of like, is this, um, is this a reenactment? And he's like, well, we're using the real thing. Uh, to train us for a reenactment. Yeah. It's just, it's just great. And then, you know, when they go leave there and, you know, try to follow the, the kind of survivalists out and everything, just that sequence is one of the most joyous sequences I saw in film all year. Yeah. It's so good. I, 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 I love it so much. It's so ridiculous. Um, number two for me was a movie that would have been in my top 20. It's I love you, dad. Um, with Patton Oswald, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this guy's name right. Uh, I love my dad. Is it? That's what it's called. Yeah, I love my so, dad. Not I, I love you, dad. So, uh, James Morrissey is the writer director. Again, I feel like I like him better. At, you know, he's also the star. I think he's a more interesting writer director than actor. But that's fine. He did fine. But you know, Patton Oswald kind of catfishes his son into like this love interest. Uh, who's played by Claudia Sulewski, who's really good, and Rachel Dracht is good in this movie. But, you know, um, there's this scene where, obviously, they're messaging each other, they're texting each other, and they start sexting each other. 
And, you know, the kid thinks it's the, um, the love interest, right? So we see it in his perspective of, like, what they're doing, him and the woman, right? But, you know, we know it's Patton Oswalt, and we keep cutting back to Patton Oswalt and his perspective. We're seeing the same sequence of him and his son, and they really go for it. And I was like, man, are they going to pull back here? But they don't. They show it. And I'm like, man, way to go. That's great. And it's a good movie, and I recommend it. The third stars the best animal actor of the year, which is EO, which I loved mm. until this just like gut wrenching ending just takes you. Right. But um, this movie is beautiful. That's the maybe the best film movie of the year. The colors are great. The story is nice. Um, and you are just um, you're just with it the whole way. And it just made me want to see um, more movies from. How old is is Jersey uh, Skolomowski now, Josh? He's in his 80s, He's right? in his 80s, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what a, if this is the last one, way to, way to go out. It won the jury prize at Cannes, and it's just beautiful, this movie, and tells a, an interesting story of an animal who, you know, you're seeing things through the animal's perspective and what's going on around the animal and all these different things. It's so beautiful, this movie, um, the, way it's, the way it looks. So, so that would be my third one. Right on. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was great, too. And uh, I do want to see uh, I, I Love My Dad. Uh, I think that looked like it would be fun. It is so. streaming now. Right on. Uh, I'll go with my three moments, which, uh, Josh, you already brought up Barbarian. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways you may have picked the better scene because that, 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 that moment is fantastic. But I also, I mean, you kind of have to talk about the the big reveal of the naked old lady smashing bill scarscart's braids in so uh that was just such a uh theatrical moment of the year and uh and then smash cut to justin long again uh just singing along in his car uh everyone in the theater cracking up and it was just so much fun and again subverting like what what you would expect out of a moment like that uh my second one would be from nope which i already brought up in my top 10 but uh I know it's like the most obvious thing in the world, but Daniel Kaluuya seeing the thing and, and getting in his truck and locking the door and saying, nope, it's like you're waiting the whole time for it. And it just, it, it couldn't have delivered better the, the way that, that he actually like plays out the scene when it finally happens. So uh, I had to include that. And then my third one is actually from Glass Onion. It's when the boat uh, full of the people who are going to be part of this murder mystery arrives on the beach and Edward Norton's just sitting there on the sand playing Blackbird on his guitar. But at first you think it's just score. You think it's like just, you know, the music in the, in the film until the camera pulls away and you see that he's actually playing it there on his guitar. And uh, it's just the most ridiculous thing for such a dumbass character to be doing. It's like, it's just such a perfect way uh, to introduce you to him. And uh, I, I laughed so hard at that moment. So th those are my three moments. No, I think I really, I feel like I didn't even notice that moment. So, uh, yeah, good for you, Dave. Right on. Well, there you go. So, uh, we talked about a lot of movies here, but we'll wrap it up by, uh, going to the popcorn and puzzle pieces, Facebook group. I wrote down, uh, some of what people shouted out in there. So, uh, we'll just kind of quickly get some thoughts on some of these movies. Um, my wife, Gina brought up tar, which wasn't on any of our lists, but, um, I thought it was great. Were you guys fans? It's so hard. It's hard, man. It's not just hard because the characters are so cold. Right. But like, dude, 
this character is so smart. Like it's above, you know, like how do you relate to this character at all? But she's great. And uh, Mark Strong's great. Um, and Todd Fields can shoot a movie. Like it's, it's a good movie. It kept me enthralled the whole way. It's not one of my yeah. favorites. It's going to win a lot of awards, but it's good. It's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. I still haven't gotten a chance to see it, but I, I, I certainly will. She also brought up Elvis, which is actually in my top 20 for sure. I, I'm not usually a big Baz Luhrmann fan, but uh, it's just, it's so wild. And I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I think this is going to, also, he might be up for best actor, Austin Butler. He might win. I'd, I'd be a little crazy. Um, I love the musical sequences. And for like a half hour, it's just like a real thrill ride. But dude, this is just so long and drawn out and unnecessary. Mm. Yeah, I didn't well, see it. <laughs> You didn't see Elvis yet? Okay. Well, no, I'm, and yeah. I don't plan to. I don't like yeah. Baz Luhrmann, and I don't like music biopics, and there's literally nothing about that movie that appeals to me in any way, so I really doubt I'll have to spend two and a half hours or whatever with it. Yeah, Josh, you might get caught in a trap. <laughs> and you can't get out. Oh, Get out of here. It's an Elvis song. Elvis you guys song. I get okay. it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get it at first. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of movies that don't appeal to me, uh, our buddy Chad Clinton Freeman brought up Dash Cam, which uh, I, I know in a, in a lot of ways it seems like it would be another companion piece with uh, something like Deadstream, but I just don't know if I can handle a right-winger version of that kind of character. So. <laughs> I, think, I think Chad should have an award show called The Chatties, and um, <laughs> it would be like my anti-award show. <laughs> yeah, well, I Chad, I used to love when Chad would run the Polygrind Film Festival and he would just make up all sorts of different categories so that he could give awards to as many movies as possible. And I, I love that about Chad's just boundless enthusiasm for questionable choices. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Tony Strauss brought up Crimes of the Future and also something called After Blue Dirty Paradise, which I don't know anything about that. Have either of you heard of that? I think I've heard of it in part because Tony Strauss made a very, very long post about it, but mm, okay. I have not seen it. Paul Hibbard brought up uh, Banshees of Inisherin and Decision to Leave, which we talked about. Chris Cranach brought up Tar and 3,000 Years of Longing. Ryan Darty brought up Bullet Train, which, uh, I don't know, I didn't really like it when it came out, and it seems to be one of those movies that's getting like the Netflix bump, where people think it's an original Netflix movie and they love it for being a new Netflix movie. Did either of you see it? Uh, is that how your is that how your dad feels about it? Did he uh, call you up and say, "What is this Brad Pitt?" Surprisingly, movie? we saw it in the theater, and he didn't even like it. That's how oh, wow. not okay. that good it is. But, yeah, I know. mean, um, again, it seemed like it had that kind of mixed feeling, and then it's really catching on on Netflix. So, like, yeah, I might. I mean, I there's so many movies to watch. Like, I didn't get to it, but now it might be now that we've done this and like we like I've really like ingrained like movie, 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 right? Like. Uh, yeah. It could be like something fun to watch coming up. Yeah, yeah, I wish I had had more fun with it because I want David Litch to make another great movie like Atomic Blonde and it just hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. uh, both Josh Hatcher and Pete Abeda brought up Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, which didn't make any of our list, but of course had to come up at some point. George Hannah Wilson brought up Jackass Forever, Adam Wells' The Northman, Bradley Andrew, 3,000 Years of Longing. Brandy Bell brought up Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which... I think it's freaking fantastic. Probably top 20 for me. Yeah, me too. I had it on my half year list and it's just kind of a little below now. So, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, if you want to talk, if you want to talk about moments, right? Like, and I'm, I'm saying this in all seriousness, not as like, uh, you know, a way that it might be taken wrongly. Like 
the reveal when Emma Thompson is looking at her nude body in the mirror, like, is a very brave acting moment. And, you know, we know she's a, it's just clutch. She, she brings it all the time. But I felt like that was a really brave, really brave moment. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great, great performance in that film. Yeah, definitely. Uh, William James brought up The Northman and Nope. Uh, Joe Black brought up White Noise. Amsterdam, which another big flop of the year, and Halloween Ends, which I did not like. Um, no, Joe, Joe and Chad can, can team up on that, that award show that Jason was talking about. <laughs> I'll watch that show. Uh, and then last up, Arthur Wellen brought up Banshees of Inisherin, Bones and All, and The Fablemans, which hasn't come up in this conversation yet. Um, I like The Fablemans. I, Jason, Jason mentioned being down on Michelle Williams in it, but I thought she was really good in it. You know, my last number one last year was West Side Story, right? And so, yeah, you know, um, I just felt like, again, we talked about this auteur childhood thing and it was fine, but it was a bit um, kind of vignette and it didn't all add up for me. And I just think like, it's fine. Like it's, but it didn't, it didn't crush. It didn't hit it out of the park for me. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I, I like a lot of things about it, but overall it didn't quite work as well as some of the other directors looking back at their childhood kind of movies or celebrations of cinema movies. But it might but win all the awards, right? Because it's it very well like saying like, yeah, I love movies. So. I mean, I yeah. think I liked it more than you guys did. And I, I would be happy, certainly happier than seeing the Banshees of Inisherin win all the awards. <laughs> ah. Well, guys, we uh, we made it under two hours. Uh, what's going on? Plug, plug some stuff. What's going on with you guys? We're doing awesome movie year still, right? Is that still That's a thing? Right. Well, it seems to be. Who knows by the time this is released, what will happen in this world, Josh? <laughs> yeah, we're in awesome movie year. Uh, we're wrapping up 1953, um, which I think has been one of the most interesting seasons because I hate every movie in there. And um, Josh loves a lot of the movies, but it's cool. And we're going to go more modern with our, you know, we keep jumping around. So I asked for a very modern year coming up. And um, I think that'll be really interesting. Yeah, we uh, I like that we can have that kind of broad scope in awesome movie year and go way, way back and then talk about recent releases and just it's celebrate the history of cinema, much like the Fablemans does. We're <laughs> really right. the Fablemans of podcasts, I think. <laughs> yeah. And not just the Michelle not Williams just, of, of podcasting. Yeah, not just because <laughs> anti-Semites call us cruel names, Josh. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> so should we plug all the things, right? AwesomeMovieYear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. Follow us. Talk to us. Uh, tell us what your favorite movies of 1953 are. Yeah, tell me what an idiot I am for hating all these things. You know where to find me on the socials. Yeah, there you go. Right on, guys. Uh, as always, it's great having you on these end-of-the-year episodes, and I look forward to getting you both back uh, for other episodes soon. Yeah, can't wait. Bye. <laughs> Hi, this is Wax Tracks Records here on 2909 South Decatur. We buy all your old 45s, your old albums, any type of music memorabilia. Also, we sell music memorabilia, albums, CDs, and a lot. Come on down to Wax Tracks, 2909 South Decatur, or give me a call at 702-362-4300. Thank you very much. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about some of our favorite movies of 2022. 
Uh, if you enjoy what we do here on Piecing It Together, make sure you're subscribed, of course, on any of the major podcast apps. And if you like the show, uh, rate and review us. Five stars would be nice over on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods or wherever it is you're listening. And check out Awesome Movie Year while you're at it as well. Make sure you're subscribed. Thanks to those guys for joining me, as always. It's always a fun time to do these episodes at the end of each year. And, uh, you know, follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join the Facebook group Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. Check out the Patreon. I told you about it at the top of the show. Check out my new album, More Content. It's available wherever you can listen to music, uh, but also on a limited edition CD, which is available on my Bandcamp. That's davidrosen.mancamp.com. You can find that limited edition CD of more content. And, uh, yeah, speaking of which, let's close out the episode with a song from more content. Let's go with the song Blacklight, which is actually going to be my next music video, so keep an eye out for that. But this is Blacklight. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.